Welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast. We address the issues, opportunities, and challenges facing women in the development of the metaverse, the biggest revolution since the internet itself. Every week, we bring you conversations with top female talent and business executives operating in the gaming and crypto industries. Here's your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss. The Meta Woman Podcast starts now. Hello, and welcome to the Meta Woman Podcast, part of the Holodeck Media Podcast Network. I'm your host, Lindsay the Boss Poss, and from struggle to success, we're covering it all. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for listening to me jabber away every week. I appreciate it. And for all the new listeners out there, welcome. I hope you enjoy. I hope you'll stick around. Today, I am delighted to welcome Paige Cameron from Beast Coast, which I also think is a cool name because that's what we call the East Coast, and I'm an East Coaster for life. Uh, Paige is VP of Miscellanea, a position I think many folks out there can understand. Beast Coast is an esports organization that, in its own words, emphasizes quality content, entertainment, and community engagement while keeping the focus on the players' overall well-being and happiness. So, Paige, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to talk about. Could you introduce yourself a little bit more? Um, give the audience a bit of your background and what Beast Coast does. Who you all are. Yeah, so I'm Paige. I'm the VP of Miscellanea. Um, I'm like technically the VP of Brand, so I oversee kind of like what Beast Coast's overall vibe is. And I inherited that position kind of just by being the first employee of Beast Coast. Um, the CEO of Beast Coast Grant, one of my closest friends, and he came to me and he was like, I'm going to start an esports org. And I think that everybody has that experience where your friend has a crazy idea and you don't really believe that he's going to pull it off, but you're like, I stand behind you. Comes to me, you know, a month later. He's like, I hired two players, Paige. I need a logo. And so, you know, here we are five years later. Actually, we just celebrated our fifth birthday, depending on when this airs. Um, and it's just like, it's been a crazy ride. And I just like love all the things I've been able to do. Beast Coast is just like, we're just trying to do, me and Grant are huge, passionate fans of video games of all sorts. And we're trying to bring that energy to the people in the community who, you know, are, we're all here because we like it. Video games are fun and great. And like, that's the energy we're trying to bring into this, into the scene. So happy to be here. So fun. That actually reminds me when you said friends and crazy ideas. I regularly, my husband regularly comes up with what he thinks are new and original inventions and I, I always rate them on a scale of like how much money I think they'll make. And one of them recently I said I think you'll make tens of dollars and he was none too pleased. Um <laughs> that, that particular rating. Ten more dollars than uh, previously, but you know it's the... right. well clearly Beast Coast made more than tens of dollars, <laughs> which is good because you've been able to grow and expand and bring on all kinds of new teams players and get into all kinds of stuff where now you're VP of brand slash miscellaneous. Very cool. Um, I want to step back and actually talk about your experience with design, because like you said, you started with a logo design. I know that design has been a huge part of the work you've done at Beast Coast. So walk me through what you did prior, what your education was like, and how you've kind of incorporated design throughout your career to be where you are now. So I started, like, I'm a graphic designer by trade. I have a, a silly little degree from a silly little fake college. I think a lot of artists out there go to like, it's like, I don't want to drop any names, but everybody knows like it's a quick two-year program that is guaranteed yeah. to get you. And then it goes bankrupt like four days after you, after you graduate. That was my experience. But um, what it really gave me was a chance to practice, a chance to network and a chance to like learn from a couple of like really good professors. Um, and so I, I, I graduated from the silly little program and I was working in um, sort of 3D. I was working with my partner. Um, mm -hmm on Dota 2 uh, cosmetics, um, because I was a huge fan of League of Legends in high school, and Dota 2 is a lot like League of Legends, but don't tell anybody mm -hmm. that I said that. Um, and so it was like an easy switch for me as an artist who was interested in this game to just start like 
looking into the way that they've created like a community um, community sourced art project almost where a lot of the cosmetic items in that game come from the community. So it was it was a natural fit. I had graphic design experience. I had like 3D model texture experience from some of my own crazy projects uh, as a kid. And that's how I ended up in Dota, basically going to these crazy, going to these big events, you know, going to TI for the first time. ITI4 was my first event. And I had like a couple of small things in the game that had managed to get me invited, which was incredible. It felt very much like a grassroots to glory for me growing up in a small town, you know, where like uh, video games get made in like LA and Toronto and I'm in Halifax and video games don't get made here really. I mean, they do now, but, um, and so that's how I ended up in Dota. And it was, a, I, I met Grant and he was just like another passionate guy. He had a similar background. He had done some stuff for TF2, same like community sourced um, projects, cosmetics. Uh, and he was really passionate about TF2. He's really passionate about Dota. And we just struck up a friendship. So I think I was one of the people that we, we would chat a lot about how there are gaps in the industry. Like, you know, uh, people weren't making super cool merch or people weren't like, making there are a lot of like spicy people in esports like running stuff kind of really like below board just like kind of like not totally safe or, or kind or fair oh, yes. i guess there's, there's been lawsuits yeah. yeah there's been lawsuits right and so we would talk a lot about how it's just like it seems like the industry just really needs somebody who cares about how they look and like cares about the people that they're working with and grant just thought that was us um and so i was like i don't know how much management skill i have to like run an, an organization but i am a designer and i have that experience and i have some connections so like if we're going to go for it i'll bring what i have and it was really helpful because i think people resonated with our vibe right away we tried to bring something that was a little bit at least when we started beast coast the industry was very gunmetal and red you know what i mean it was very just like 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 cobalt and steel like it was it was very masculine and I don't think there's anything wrong with that aesthetic. I know I have a lot of like, you know, very sleek uh, aluminum uh, stuff to like that for that vibe. Finale, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm a gamer. I have it. I, I run a you know machine. Um, but I wanted something a little bit brighter and a little bit more fun and a little bit more like gender neutral. I don't think any color mm -hmm. really has a gender, but I wanted something that could appeal to more people. And so that's why. That's, just to interject really quick, that's actually a good point because it's not even just about like is it masculine or feminine, but a lot of um yeah there's not a lot of just like bright fun stuff like yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have to be gendered at all just to be fun and, exactly yeah, and so i think the industry is growing in that respect i think that FlyQuest has done mm -hmm. a really good job with their branding i think that like uh you know cloud nine's always had this bright blue color that we've admired definitely been one of our major inspirations for like bringing something you know bigger but yeah we that's what we wanted to do so we picked this really trendy teal color and it seems to never go out of trend so i'm really happy with that and so like my design sensibilities have always been you know a little bit a little bit minimalist, a little bit, you know, clean, sharp. Um, and it didn't always mesh super well with the with the established esport aesthetic. But I think people were interested in seeing what we had because it was fresh and different, even if it wasn't hundred percent on time all the time, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That's so fun. And I want to kind of pick on a little bit of what you said in there. One of the things that you noted is that you weren't someone that had managed people or necessarily had and interest in that coming in at what I, I know it wasn't the top priority, even if you might've had an interest, but I've been reading and thinking more about managerial roles and how some managerial roles, like for example, when you're a game developer can involve more about getting the product out there and managing the product development than it can like an actual team. Um, obviously that's a very high level example, but um, 
and it's not always true that developing a product, you have to have a team behind it. But the point is some managerial roles involve managing people and others involve managing kind of more high level technical stuff. And I've also been thinking about how some folks really want to manage others and are, are into those kind of person to person relationships. Well, some are definitely more, again, on the product end, on the creation end. You're in a role now where you're not only doing the design portion at these posts, but you're also managing people. So where do you fall on that spectrum of being interested in working with people and creating the team environment versus working on product and development and kind of overseeing, but maybe not so in the nitty gritty and the personal relationship side? I definitely migrated, I think, when I started. And I think a lot of people have a similar experience um, working in this industry where you have this like imposter syndrome. Uh, where it's just like, if I'm not doing anything, they're going to notice that I'm not good at anything and I'm going to get like found out for being a liar and an imposter. And so that was a thing that I really had to get over because for like you said, the first probably four years of Beast Coast, I was doing the nitty gritty and I enjoy design. I absolutely like, that's why I went into, into it for school. I like putting stuff down on paper. I love, love seeing something at the end of the day that I created. But as, as Beast Coast grew, when we had more, more stuff, more things, and more people, um, it, it just didn't become tenable for me to be the person putting pen to paper every day, as it were. And we, you know, we hired some staff. And so that just, it immediately creates this, this kind of crisis of imposter syndrome where it's just like, well, if I just tell my staff what to do, then what am I doing all day? You know, completely ignoring all the things that I definitely have to do all day now as a manager, but it just like feels like it, I'll just be sitting around doing nothing and they'll notice that I'm not even important. And, but that's just not true. And so I think what really helped me kind of move from the, the do it, the do it perspective to the delegate perspective was just like making sure that I was hiring people that understood and like I vibe with. And I, I feel like now I, I love my team and it's weird to say my team because I've never like felt like I was going to be somebody's boss, but I have the social team and I have the design team and they just, it was about hiring people for me that like had camaraderie, like had community and like we could have a real conversation i never want to be just like the guy in the office like delegating i want to i want it to be uh a partnership because we are we are a team and it was at least for me understanding that at the end of the day the buck stops with me so if i hire the wrong person and they don't get the job done like that's on me and like communicating to my team that like if if they're not doing a good job it's because i didn't give them the tools as a manager to do a good job you know to a certain extent everybody understands but it's just like making sure that they understand that it's a relationship it's a give and take it's not just me bossing you around it's like if you're missing something that's on me i'm your boss if you if you forget something that's on me for not like making sure it was scheduled and i think that that honesty and that back and forth has helped my manager skills my manager's like style develop in a way that seems, you know, I don't want to speak for my staff. They're probably, maybe they're at home. There's like, my boss sucks so bad. Um, <laughs> but it seems like we have a really good, a really good team. And it's, it's helped me grow my, uh, my skills. I, I feel kind of good about where I am. I feel like I've become a leader. I don't know if I was a leader in the beginning of Beast Coast. I was just some guy, me and Grant were just some guys, you know, thrown into this, this entire experience. But I feel like I have the skills now. I've, I've worked with people. And I am a leader and it feels really good because I like people and I like seeing people succeed. And so if I can facilitate that, like that's, that's what I want to be able to do. So. And I think that you touched on something really good there saying that first of all, you didn't walk in knowing exactly what your style was going to be as a manager and you let it develop. But secondly, that you had to kind of keep pushing past the imposter syndrome portion of that in order to actually let it develop. 
Yeah, it's um, wild. It's like, I don't know. I, I think I, I've spoken to everybody about imposter syndrome. I think everybody has it. And yeah. everybody feels like they're looking around like everybody else is doing great and I'm doing awful. But like me and Grant right. for like so long, we're just like, what are we doing? You know? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I get, I completely get that. And I want to actually talk about what it was like at the beginning, because you were, you were the second person there. Yeah. Um, the, after Grant. Um, and one of the unique polls in the, you know, from the description I read in the beginning is that you all focus on happiness of your creators. Um, so what did that look like building that in from the beginning? Like, was there a team meeting in the beginning? It's like, Oh, you know, we're going to make everyone happy. Or is it more so what you're talking about before with, we see the environment, we see what's out there and we think we have a different take on it and we want to put our own spin on it. I definitely, I think it's, you know, it's definitely like the second thing a little bit with a little, you know, with a little bit of the first thing, we definitely tried to have meetings which like, what does it mean to focus on player happiness? And it was, it was very much so a product of like, it, it felt like at that point, the industry is always in a, in a, a process of becoming more and more corporate mainstream. And like, that's not a bad thing. I think we have different sources of revenue through this. We have more eyes on us. Like it's really good. But I think that at least at this point when Beast was performed, it just like felt like there were people getting in who weren't super endemic to the scene, who didn't necessarily know what they were getting themselves into. And the people who were endemic to the scene were not necessarily practiced in like their skills enough to like make it happen fairly. And so we were just like, Grant had some experience on the corporate side. Like I, I guess I was, I was cool enough to tag along. And so we were like, I think if we just treat people the way we want to be treated, and we pay them on time, which was, I think, a big deal at that point, then like, then we can do something important here. And we were, we were, we were seeing a lot of companies starting up, getting like $10 million in investments and then falling apart. And like, that's great. Cool. That's exciting. If I would love $10 million in investments out of nowhere, but I don't want to fall apart. So it's Same. like, I'm available for that. <laughs> out there. Anybody out there have $10 million to split the yeah, I'm, I'm free. Thank you. Anyways. Yeah. Um, if if we could grow in a way that was sustainable, then we wouldn't have that problem where we like suddenly sprouted up and fell apart. And so we were focused on like taking on things that we could handle, you know, growing with those people, being honest with those people. Our, our first two hires were Mike Hayes and uh, Mr. R, both incredible like smash players. Mike Hayes played Melee. I think he's retired now. And Mr. R is still playing uh, Ultimate now. Just like people who had not had a whole lot of like, ex- not, they had lots of experience, but they weren't looking directly for a sponsor at the time but grant's honesty and his commitment to just like let's build something here right now that makes sense for you got them both on board and i think that that lends us a lot of credibility and it was just about building this honest connection and just like paying people on time like i we've always felt like we're grassroots like we we hire people who are who love the scenes that they're in we do our best to understand the scenes that we're in and and we try to like defer to the experts in the scene who are not necessarily the people in suits or the people, you know, in pools. Like they're the people going O2. Like you, maybe you're terrible at Smash, but if you've been playing it for like 10 years, I trust your judgment. And so being able to look to the people who don't necessarily um, seem like the experts, but like do have that experience, like looking in the places where other people are not looking, like that's what we wanted to do. That makes sense. And speaking of looking in the places where other people aren't, looking and I don't know that this is true anymore so I don't want this out there as a negative but one of the cool things about Beast Coast is how international it is how you field teams in South America especially so started with this kind of grassroots organization focused on fun and 
I will say like thinking about what it was like to start an esports organization five years ago, like we are in a completely different environment than it was then. And I am positive that you, you all were in a much smaller pool of, of organizations trying to do what you're doing. Um, I think that more recently there's been more folks that have come forward and tried to put together, put mental well-being and fun more at the forefront. That's great. I love having more, right. you know, competition makes us all happier. Mm-hmm. And if we're all working better to, do a better job right the whole industry is healthier and that's well, good and there's you know there's more money in it yeah. and and you can find better revenue strategies and sponsors understand more so i i agree i think like having more teams in the space that are doing that is good but how did you grow from an organization i mean you're in canada i don't know where grant is but and then you wind up with teams in south america so how did that happen well, we were just looking like me so me and grant are big dota fans i told earlier the story that we met at ti and we Ultimately, when we sat down and started Beast Coast, we were like, we have these two Smash players. We love them to death. We love the Smash community. We love video games. But like, we want to be in Dota. Like, Dota is where we started. It's our, where our passion. It's our heart game. And so we were looking at, you know, the whole Dota scene. And it just so happened that there was this incredible South American team. Um, I think it was TI8. Um, they were signed under Infamous. It's the roster we have now. And they came out of nowhere and they surprised everybody because for a really long time, South America, I think in a lot of different esports, has been underlooked and underutilized. And me and Grant, having started Beast Coast and like always felt like the underdog, we we kind of attached ourselves. We we understood that sentiment where it's just like the whole world's looking at you and thinking that you're nothing. And then you come through and you're like, oh, I top eight a TI. Like I'm I'm competing with the the best EU teams. I'm competing with the best NA teams. Like you know I can do it and so we wanted to reach out to that team because it just like it made sense to us we wanted to be in dota really bad and we wanted to support this kind of growing industry in peru there's like there's a bunch more dota teams now like and the south american fans like our fans are peruvian but like south american dota fans south american you know esports fans are super duper passionate and it was just like a market that was being under you underserved because like the rest of the global community just kind of wrote them off because like they don't have as much money to they don't have as much time to practice they don't have as much like they don't have as many resources they don't have as many sponsors and so being able to like reach out to them and work with them like build a really cool team house you know give them the the resources they need like succeed and we have been succeeding we've been we've qualified for basically every major since we since we uh signed the team and the dota team our dota team is the longest stable roster in dota history so we signed them after their wow. TI run and we've had them since. And that's like the longest team, longest any Dota team has stayed together as one unit. Like the the post-TI shuffle, the post-major shuffle is like a massive, you know, it's it's a massive event usually mm-hmm. in Dota. It's similar in other esports where it's just like, okay, this team didn't, this didn't work, this didn't work. Like they're trading players right. to see. But that's never happened to us because our boys are, you know, they're committed. They're committed to growing together. They understand like camaraderie. And like those are all things that we at Beast Coast, you know, are also really passionate about, just like the commitment to growth, the camaraderie, like fun. And so being able to do that, like super duper exciting, especially in in a in a region that's otherwise like overlooked. So that's so cool. How was it managing all of the resources to build, grow, and keep the team happy remotely? Um, because if I'm not mistaken, I know that. I know that you haven't uh, spent much time down in Peru, and I, I don't know how I many... had a chance to go to Peru before the world fell apart, and I was like, oh, oh I'll go next year, and then, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, Grant has been to Peru, a couple of, you know, our, our English-speaking right? staff have mm-hmm. been to Peru, but generally, you're right, it's remote, and it was, like, 
it was really terrifying. And I know a lot of, there's a couple of other orgs who have fielded like Brazilian teams and come across the same issue. Like it is very challenging to suddenly have a massive fan base speaking a language you don't speak. Um, so we, you know, we tried to hire uh, people who speak Spanish. So Spanish is the main language in Peru. I think in Brazil it's Portuguese, but in Peru it's uh, Spanish. So we sp- tried to hire people who were bilingual. Luckily, you know, they teach Spanish in schools in, in, uh, in America. So there's more bilingual people there than like, I, I speak French and English, but that doesn't help me any, any good here. And then we reached out into the Peruvian scene. And so the same way that we found these uh, Peruvian players who are super passionate and super talented, there were Peruvian support staff there, like ready, just like excited to work on the game that they love so much in some way. And so we have an extremely talented, hardworking uh, sales lead. His name is Alejandro and he does, you know, he goes above and beyond. He like gets us the connections to like Peruvian businesses, but he also will go to the team host and make sure the boys are eating. Like he's the, so he gave an interview after one of our very good matches and people were in chat just like, oh, the, the Beast Coast CEO is so charismatic. I'm like, well, that's Alejandro. He's not our CEO, but you know, in, in Peru, basically he's the CEO. Like he makes sure that our <laughs> Peruvian support staff have what they need. And so it was about really connecting. It was again, like looking to the people who have the most experience, even if it's not immediately apparent to the kind of sensibilities that we're ready with, like we're prepared for, like, you know, getting over your biases and looking for people who are there and like ready to work. And Alejandro was one of them. We have an incredible social media manager named Seal who like, just like knows how the Peruvian fan base works, how their, um, how their memes are. He's like a meme master, you know what I mean? And then we have like a bunch of like support staff. We have content staff with Glam. We've worked with like on-site people, the same people who are like producing um the dota like the 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 professional season for de esports like we've worked with them before to like make sure that content's good and so it's like it's they're not the kind of people that i think you know generally we we thought we were going to be looking for when we started beast coast but they're talented they're hardworking, and like i am so privileged to work with them every day that's so cool and i i think that it is a testament to what's going on or, or how you all run the team that you've been able to build that experience um very very far away from you. <laughs> um so that's really neat and so i wanted to kind of continue down this thread of you know as an esports organization what you're thinking about so one of the things that i've been thinking about a lot lately is fan engagement um and that's because i think that there's so much room for creativity and unique experiences and you just kind of noted that right like that you have like a, a whole peruvian meme section that is specifically kind of for your fans and that that kind of example is true across all kinds of sports and all kinds of esports. But the nature of gaming is such that you have such an opportunity to be super creative in how you reach out to fans. Um, traditional sports, it's a lot harder to get players' reactions when they're running around or just in general. Like, I, And now we actually see traditional athletes like jumping on Twitch to be able to interact with fans a lot more. But gaming itself is much more of a, uh, lean forward experience. Like you're there with people. So, what are some of the ways you're thinking about fan engagement and still balancing the priority of player happiness? Because you can't just say like, yeah, stream hour eight hours a day, so that our fans can get to know you. Like, how are you? What are you thinking about building your fan engagement experiences around? So, there's. I think there's two like not like pillars that I'm looking to. I think that Liquid has done a really good job with this with their Liquid Plus system. They've almost built their own little, almost like a metaverse where they have, you can like sign up to follow them and everything that they have. And they give you like little custom rewards um, and just like connections with the players. And like you can get physical rewards and digital rewards. Like they even give away like League of Legends skins sometimes. 
Um, and that brings me to the second pillar, at least in my mind, which is like Dota has the 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 team bundles, and I would love to do something almost even bigger than that. But like the team bundles now are just like you can buy something in game to show off who your favorite team is. And so, like I said, I came from Dota Cosmetics, right? So hats, you know, sets of items and weapons and stuff, all this custom stuff. And so my brain is always looking for ways to like customize your character in these games in a way that also shows off um, what you're doing. It doesn't, they do it in Rainbow Six too. We're lucky enough to have two skins in the partner program with Rainbow Six, um, you know, an MP5 skin and an LMG skin. And I was like, I got to design the MP5 skin, which was like a very much return to form for me, starting, you know, making Dota swords and now making Beast Coast guns. It just like felt really, really, really natural to me. And it it's just like, it's a way that you can see yourself in the game. And so it's, it's, you can support us, you can support the team, you can engage. And they really, people really feel like they're, you know, connecting by like showing us, you know, showing us off when they're playing their games normally. And I really want to find a way to make that bigger because I just love, I love making hats. I love making Dota hats. I love making custom swords. And I have all these ideas. We have this incredible mascot, Crest. And I just want to put Crest in every video game because I think Crest looks like a video game character already. So it's like, I would love an avatar of Crest in, you know, in like VR chat. You know, I would love an avatar, a, a little Crest charm on every Rainbow Six gun and like a courier in Dota 2. It's like, that's what I'm looking for. And I think that's the kind of stuff that resonates with people. Because ultimately, games are fun to watch, but a lot of people are watching those games because they're also fun to play. And so making sure that we can connect that to people is really good. And like, if we can take the Liquid Plus system where you're like building this community you know, you're giving them custom rewards and you're connecting with your fans almost directly in this like secret fan club kind of way and use that system to give away like special items, you know, special avatars, you know, then that's like where I want to be. I think that's the perfect blend of the things that I want to do to connect with our fans because we have some really great, passionate people. It's it's wild. I know like we don't have the hugest fan base. We're not the biggest esports org in the world, but I have this concept of like the 100 true fans where it's like real success doesn't need, need to be massive. You just need 100 people who are willing to spend $100 on whatever you put out. And when I like look out into Beast Coast's community and I see those 100 people, like that's what keeps me going. You know what I mean? It's like, I got to make little crest tchotchkes for these people because like, that's, that's, that's who I really, that's who I want to connect with. Right. I like that you called them tchotchkes. Um, (laughs) No, I, I actually like that description though, because I've had a, I've had a running joke on this show that if you have ever owned, bought or gifted a Funko Pop, I don't want to hear your opinion on NFTs Um, (laughs) because I, I think that there's like people collect things that they like just because they like them. And whether it's a digital good or a real world good or whatever it may be, I do think that that's an extremely valuable way of engaging with an audience. And tchotchkes are a thing that like humans have liked forever. I mean, we had like pet rocks in the eighties, right? Like (laughs) people will pay for tchotchkes. And I don't think that that is a, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I feel like there's so many people who are trying to almost correct that and say like, no, it has to be, you know, the authenticity thing. Like it has to, everything has to be like really authentic and real. And it's like, no, just make me a cute tchotchke that I can show off to everyone. Um, yeah. I and like, I have, you know, I have my own concerns, you know, conversations about, about NFTs, about crypto, all that stuff. But like at the end oh, of the yeah. day, uh, this house that I live in right now was paid for by Dota hats. Right. And so like I, digital items do have value. And like Gabe Newell proved that 15 years ago when he was like TF2 has hats now. I don't even know if it was probably 10 years ago. I don't know what time is anymore. Whatever. Some amount of like, years ago. When someone paid $400 for an unusual TF2 hat, like digital items have value and they matter to people. And if I can give something to somebody and make like that they care about, then I feel, I feel good about that generally. 
Yeah, and that's more the point that I'm making. Yeah. There's a whole, NFTs are a whole other issue, but the digital assets, digital goods, digital trading, that's something that's been around for quite a long time. Yeah. And I think that uh, people have, it's almost like they're like so used to it that when you switch the name, they get really offended. But it's like, no, we've been doing this. No, it's, <laughs> we've it's all been fair. doing this. Like, <laughs> there's we, issues for sure. But, <laughs> but we can we find a way to do this, you know, safe and good. And it, it could make sense. We could, we could yeah. make this make sense. Like we said, Dota had some lawsuits, some light lawsuits. Some light, t- some light CSGO gambling issues, but you know, we'll work yeah. through it. We'll work through it. You know, we all have our problems. Um, well, and speaking of this whole kind of discussion, you are someone who, you know, who works in design, who has worked with digital goods. What are you looking forward to with the development of the metaverse and further technologies? I know you, you mentioned that. Almost a mini metaverse, as, as you previously called it. Just yeah, I, I, I think yeah, I think the concept of a metaverse has existed for a really long time. Like I, yeah. I when I started doing texturing, like when I started practicing my skills as a teenager, it was in this like silly little digital world called IMVU, which was like a chat client where you had your own little character, your little avatar. It's it's very similar to Second Life, which I think is something that a lot of other people point to to say like the metaverse concept has you know existed for a really long time. You know, so like I I and I, I just see. When I was growing up, this stuff was a little bit kind of underground. It was it was not mainstream, and I think there's a lot of conversation now that like people who didn't know this stuff existed are now learning about it for better or for worse. And but but we can we can take that information that that new knowledge and like turn it into something good. And I think it it'll make people more understanding of this like stuff like digital digital goods that do have value like Dota hats, right? And so like bringing that to more people. And having them understand and you know potentially even enjoy all that all that kind of stuff like i don't know i when i was a kid i played neopets right i collected neopoints i i got my little i got my neopets little outfits now i mean and i painted them different colors right like oh, yeah it brought me a still, lot of joy it still brings me a lot of joy say, i hope that your neopets are still surviving and thriving they are <laughs> believe it or not i log in at least once a month to make sure they're fed um Heck yeah because like and like that stuff is like 15 like my neopets account is like 18 years old now my neopets account could vote um, which is insane to me, but it's just like that kind of that little bit of joy, that little bit of like, of, you know, ownership and, and creativity has carried me through my whole life. And so like being able to potentially bring that to somebody else to, you know, grow that, to introduce more people to the concept of that and like get them interested in video games in general, you know, connecting with other people digitally, how, you know, how valuable that is. And then like esports and video games is like a concept. I think it all comes together. Like it's all connected. And yeah. And there's real value in, in all of that with esports and pulling on that, that's a perfect kind of transition to the next question. I ask. Um, but how do you think esports and competitive gaming, what do you think they'll look like in the metaverse? Like, do you think it'll be similar to how we kind of have structures now? Or do you think that things will look different when it comes specifically to kind of competitive gaming? Honestly, I, I'm like a huge VR person. Like I was one of the first people to buy an HTC Vive. I was so lucky at that event that I went to the TI4 or I guess it was TI5. Like Valve was like previewing the Vive and I got to try it for the first time and it blew my mind. And so like, I've been a a VR, you know, uh, what's what's the word? Like uh, evangelist. I've been a VR evangelist ever since that moment because like this big whale came by and like this, this concept of presence, like it really, it really made me exciting, excited. And then, this year, these past couple of years where we haven't been able to go to events, I've been like so sad about it. I miss events. And I don't think VR events are ever going to like 
fully replace real events because now that I'm getting back out there and talking to people, of course, like we met in a real event. So sweet. It was so great. Um, but I think like introducing people to that concept of, of esports events and like broadcasting them through VR, like that's like the world I want to imagine. I don't know. I know that VR has been a hard sell. I know I, there's a lot of concepts here that I think are hard sells, but like they're so fun to me. And then digital events, um, I think that digital events like drops and stuff. Okay, I'm trying to get here. I'm trying to get to this concept. You know when you're watching a game on Twitch and like they give away free drops for your games? Like yeah. you're like, oh, this is how I unlock a new gun skin. I think that's really fun. And for a long time, Dota's done that where like if you actually go to a real life event, you can like sign up with your Steam account and like get custom special special items for like being in person in that event. They're called uh, Crimson Witness tre Treasures and they're some of the rarest treasures in Dota. And every time I've been to a Dota event, me and my friends would be like, how many did you get? Like, cause it's all random, like a random drop. It's like, did you get any? She's like, I got like four. I'm like, I got none. Like you have all my luck. And it's just like this really fun, like in-person, but also like digital, almost metaverse-esque trading component that like mm -hmm. brings the real life experience of the esports arena like back into the video game experience of the esports arena and it like keeps them connected and it makes you feel like you're not just like watching the game but you're also playing the game you know what i mean and i would love to see that continue to grow i'd love to see that like be a huge part making sure that everything like really connecting your online world with the with the real life world and having them like linked in ways that don't suck <laughs> you know yeah what do you think the actual games will look like too you know i'm wondering like i don't know and i don't know exactly what i'm thinking of but you know as you are someone who is very well versed in a lot of different kinds of games yeah. and in esports teams and competitive play like do you think that there will be kind of new types of games or different i'm I'm wondering like what it's going to be like watching like a bunch of people on stage who are wearing vr headsets and competing and i don't i think it's going to be like i think that's going to be fun i don't want to sound flippant about it but like do you think that we'll get like new types of games maybe i think i think so i think i've seen some really incredible i know i said i'm a vr evangelist and then i stopped talking about it but like i've seen some like the, as this as the tech gets cheaper and like mm -hmm. as it gets scaled yeah. down you get these bigger experiences because you can suddenly put like four headsets in a massive room and have those people play laser tag versus when i bought a headset it was massive on my face it was heavy and it had a huge cord so like I couldn't play laser tag with anybody unless I wanted to trip over their their cord. But now like all that stuff is wireless. Like the Ocul the Oculus Quest totally blew my mind when I tried it on the first time and the inside out tracking because I was like you're never gonna get tracking to make that won't make people sick unless you have right. the base station. And then the quest mm -hmm. was like you know I hired John Carmack and we don't need no base stations anymore. Like you got that inside and it was just incredible. And so suddenly instead of like having to spend forty minutes making sure my base stations were aligned, making sure my my living room was clean. Like I could just pop it on and play Beat Saber. And I think like with that level of tech getting better and better, like, yeah, maybe we'll have a big box arena of like 40 people, not 40, people, like 20, like maybe 10 people, like 5v5, like in a huge arena. And you can see them like in real life down there, like playing laser tag, like there's their human bodies. And then you look up the same way, like when you're playing Dota, the screen is up like up here. And like, that's the, that's the in-game view where everything looks way cooler. But you can also oh my see God, them, that like, would be so cool. Wouldn't that be yeah. fun? I don't know. That would be sick. I yeah. feel like maybe maybe uh, maybe it's too maybe it's too much. But like I would go to an event like that. Yeah, it would be. I mean, it would be. That's kind of interesting to think about because as someone, so I played basketball in college and that's covered several times on the show. But I'm kind of imagining like, so what if you were playing Dota and it was 
virtual, but you also then would have to have some element, like like you said, if you build the whole kind of you know maze or camp <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, um, where you have to run and hide physically. Then I wonder if like physical traits will come back into play. You know, yeah, like you need to be. When I started playing Beat Saber, I was like, sad, oh, sad and wimpy. And then Beat Saber was so like. My, it got my heart rate up. It got my arms moving. And like, ever since I started playing Beat Saber, like I started going to the real gym because I was like, I like feeling physical. I like feeling strong. Like it makes me yeah. feel, turns out that when you exercise, you actually feel better. Believe it or not. I know that doctors say that and you don't, <laughs> nobody believes them. They but might like be onto something They with might that. actually be onto something. And so I would love to see just like an esport that's an esport, like where you have to like aim and shoot your fake gun with your controllers, but also like you need to run right. back and forth. You know, it's just like, it's just, I personally would love to play that. And if I will let him play that, then that's like the that first step in turning so into an esport. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Great. Um, I mean, yeah, like you said, it's it's like laser tag, but also even like even you're getting even more of like the graphic experience and just that whole like plot experience than you would at laser tag. Um yeah. so oh that's such a cool idea. I, I actually this is a really interesting line of thinking because one of the things about video games is that they can be a great equalizer for physical ability in a way that like if you are five seven as a male you probably aren't going to make it into the nba <laughs> um i i i have always felt and i don't know if you feel this way too though i've always felt that that's kind of an oversimplification because in the same way that you have to be you know really tall and fast and strong to play in the nba you have to have extremely fast reaction time uh you have to have extremely quick decision making like you have to have all these abilities that are somewhat innate and somewhat learned but it's not like Oh, video games are a great equalizer, and everyone out can go out and be they like anyone can be a pro, and it's like well, that's not true. Like there's there's limitations in the same way that like professional sports have limitations on physicality. Yeah. Um, so I I've always found that argument to be kind of annoying, actually. <laughs> like, anyone can be pro at video games. I mean, there I wouldn't. can't. Have you seen me try to shoot a gun? Right, like, like, there's a reason I don't play Rainbow Six. I let the Rainbow Six players play Rainbow Six. Just like I, 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 I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. You have to be good at certain things, like certain skills, in the same way that you have to be good at certain skills to play anything or to do anything. So yeah. But anyways, it's it's fascinating to think about the combination of like real world, like okay, you have to be really fast, but you also have to be extremely accurate. And you have to have like really good planning. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, that would be so cool to watch. It's definitely like, like a different mixture, right? Where it's just like there's a set of skills you need to do to play video games traditionally. There's a set of skills you need to play sports traditionally. And then like some of both of these things to play like professional physical video games professionally. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. it's just like, I think it, I, like, yeah, you still have some stuff that maybe not everybody can do, but like there's it, the mixture might appeal or like include people who would otherwise be excluded in like the two other categories right where it's just like maybe i am really fast and i can shoot a video game gun really well but like i've never been like tall enough like you said to play basketball it's like maybe i can play this instead and so it's just like it gives more people more options right yeah so cool okay well that's really really fun and i'm glad that we talked about that because that was fun for me um i want to pivot for kind of our last topic here and talk about LGBTQIA plus rights, because you are someone who uses she, they pronouns and you call yourself woman adjacent, which I think is <laughs> great. <laughs> I think about that all the time. I'm like, I feel that way a lot too. I am woman adjacent. Woman adjacent. Um, but you've used your platform quite a bit to discuss rights for folks in the queer community. Um, I want to ask you kind of two sort of separate questions, but 
I, I first want to know what esports orgs can do to be more inclusive towards queer identifying folks. And I also want to know, like, from your perspective as someone who works in South America, what kind of those in Peru and what kind of those like cultural differences are in your audiences um, and what that looks like? I'm just curious. Yeah. Well, I'll start with the second question just because it's a little bit of a shorter answer. Cool. Um, in general, I was like nervous the first time we like posted some of our like, uh, like Pride Month stuff in on our South American platforms, just because it's not a community that I'm a huge part of. Like, it's not one like my understanding of like LGBT rights is pretty much focused on English countries like you know north america like uh europe a little bit um so it's like and i i don't i don't i don't claim to understand you know like it's a very you know eurocentric experience just because like that's where i live so i was just like i don't know how this is going to be received but like we posted it on our on our on our facebook platform and our fans seem to be like yeah this is great like i i think everybody knows a queer person at the end of the day whether or not like you know their culture 100 accepts or accepts it or not like everybody just like I think overall in general, people are getting more understanding. And so like, I just, I was really pleasantly surprised to see like, not, not a whole lot of vitriol, like nothing kind of scary. Like, I don't know why I was afraid, you know, like I said, everybody's just people, but it's just like, it's hard when you don't speak the language. It's like, is this going over well? But no, it went over really, really well. And like in general, we, we try to keep our messaging, at least from, from our perspective to the South American perspective, pretty simple. Just like, because like, I, I can talk at length about like specifically like American and Canadian politics and laws and rules around like queer people. But like, I just don't know what that looks like in South America. So we'll keep it simple. We'll let that, we'll like tell them, you know, like gay, gay people cool. And they're like, generally like, yeah, you're right. And I just don't have the, the language to like communicate the intricacies because I don't speak, I don't speak Spanish. And, you know, it's just like, it's, it's tough, but like, you know, they, they were like, yeah, okay, cool, awesome. Like, Beast Coast, is, Beast Coast is awesome. And there's, like, a bunch of, like, women who are into Dota in South America because it's such a cultural, you know, cultural phenomenon there. And so, like, they're, I think, being able to say, like, women and queer people are welcome at Beast Coast in Spanish, you know, as best we can resonates with them, too. Like, I, I know, like, the, the our Peruvian audience is mostly, you know, young men very similar to what people I, I think imagine the esports industry like audience is but you know we've worked with like female Dota influencers and we've worked with female Dota artists and so, like I know those people are there in South America I don't want to stop trying to reach them just because I don't necessarily speak Spanish you know what I mean and so like I, I I'm, I'm happy that when we when we talk we talk to our, our South American fans they, they listen and it's, it's really really cool to like be that kind of cross-cultural link there um, at least your first, the other question was just like, what can esports orgs do what to make do, sure that yeah. queer people, mm -hmm. I'm adjust here. what can esports orgs do to make sure that queer people feel accepted? And I think, I mean, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that like, there are so many queer people in these communities already. I think about how many like, like trans people I know who like grew up playing Smash Bros. It's just like, just like. And and I know that at every local, there's like at least one queer person, one trans person there playing Smash Bros. That everybody knows. That was known for a really long time. And like at the end of the day, like those people have brought life and like culture and texture to our communities for the entirety of its of its entire existence. Like I love now that GDQ is like showing people's pronouns when they're streaming and or when they're doing runs because you start to see like oh these people are these people are non-binary, like these people are queer, these people are trans, and like this GDQ event is the big one of the biggest like gaming mainstream events in the entire like world of gaming like lots of lots of normal people watch it and it's just like these people have been integral to the speedrunning community not necessarily the same as the esports community but very adjacent 
Um, and so like they've built this community, like the reason why this event is so successful is because all of these queer and trans people have been passionate about it for their entire lives. And it's just like, we built this thing, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to say we built it, but like every esport event in the world has, has at least two or three trans people just in the background, making sure that the, that the production is running, that the, you know, that the, the people get there on time, that the, the food service is there, you know, we did this together with allies but like we built this thing and so recognizing and understanding that like the queer people are integral to this the success of this community is really important to me i think and then just making sure you stand up and say like you know you belong here like really specifically directed like you belong here like we support you like we're not gonna put up with any kind of hate because i i do know there's just like esports was a boys club for a really long time gaming was a boys club for a really long time there are still some kind of sour attitudes out there and being vocal and specific about making sure that those attitudes are not allowed um, really, I think it goes a long way. So that's me. That's what I think. And that's what I try I to do. That, yeah. Everyone go go thank a trans person in your life today. Yes. <laughs> and I mean that. Like, <laughs> give them some recognition for all the hard work that, that uh, <laughs> trans folks do in all kinds of industries. This is one of, I mean, one of my sort of, I guess, biggest pet peeves about underrepresentation across gaming in general is like you are like not only is this dumb for moral reasons but you are hurting (laughs) your own bottom line here like yeah these are people that are willing to engage with you your platform and spend money and time and effort with you and your game like just be nice be supportive (laughs) like yeah i don't want to my own horn but you know that 100 true fans concept like i think at least 50 of those fans are queer in some way or trans in some way and it's just because, like, I've been able to connect with them and been like, I'm so grateful that you're my fan. And they're like, we're so grateful that you recognize that we're here. Like, right. that's really all it takes. You know what yeah. I mean? And just like, just and like being able to be openly, loudly myself has right. been enough for a lot of people to be like, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. And just being specific about like, you know, saying that like, queer people like deserve rights, you know, trans rights are sort of under attack right now. Like, do what you can being specific and targeted and being like, instead of just like a little bit vague, not that I think there's anything wrong with positive vague statements, but the more specific and targeted and like honest you can be, I think that mm-hmm. really resonates with people. So. Oh, love that. That's a great place to kind of wrap up. So I'm going to summarize <laughs> really quick what we talked about. Um, we talked about the inception of East Coast and how you started an esports organization with the idea of creating a more fun and secure environment simultaneously. Um, trying to get away from that. Very masculine, very uh, steel and cobalt slash also some lawsuits. <laughs> um, when it comes to managerial roles, you have to get over imposter syndrome. It may feel like managers are not doing much, but figuring out the balance of delegation versus pen to paper work time is an important part of being a manager. Building up partnerships and team camaraderie is also important. You have to hire the right folks. You have to give them the right tools as a manager to do a good job. You have to recognize when that goes well. Um, I. As an organization, you mentioned that you all are focused on sustainable growth. You didn't want to just get funding and peter out. You wanted to have a fully fleshed out strategy. You tried to look in places that were historically underserved while staying true to your interests and passions, just how these posts went up with the Dota team in Peru, which is awesome. When it comes to fan engagement, we had a long talk about kind of digital rewards, which is really cool. Um, you can make real rewards that people real rewards that people can get and use in game to show their support and fandom. And do special drops for those in secret fan clubs. And like we talked about with 100 true fans, you don't need a huge fan base 
what you need is a dedicated base of people that want to interact with the organization and show off their benefit. Um, and it is equally important to thank, recognize, and make those people feel seen within that. So it's a two-way street when it comes to fan engagement. The metaverse is more mainstream now. It's always been around, but it's becoming more and more of a topic. Um, digital goods and digital trading has been around for a long time, but getting people more comfortable with that is very valuable. When it comes to gaming events, in-person is still important, but there's ways to incorporate that with a digital experience that kind of crosses over between the in-person and metaverse world. We talked about VR tech and you are a VR tech evangelist, how it has improved so much that there's huge potential for VR to create really fun gaming experiences, including a mix of physical and gaming skills. You have players running and jumping in a virtual game, but in a real life arena, it just sounds like the most fun thing to watch ever. Um, VR can also help motivate people with physical movement. Beat Saber got paged into the gym, just for all of those out there. So use Beat Saber as motivation to not have noodle arms. I have had noodle arms for a long time, so <laughs> it's fine. If you also like having noodle arms, that's cool too. It's fine. <laughs> um, the South, and then we actually ended a discussion on LGBTQIA plus rights, so queer communities, trans communities. And South American reception of Pride Month and other support for queer communities and queer organizations has been really positive so far, which is cool. When it comes to esports orgs at large, having simple sharing mechanisms like putting pronouns on events can really make queer and trans communities feel seen, especially since queer and trans communities are integral to the success of a lot of these events. So I think that was a great point to end on. The last section that I like to do when I do this with everyone who comes on the show, because it's a really fun chance to kind of look back at your career, think about what you've done. That I like to ask is what is one thing you would like to tell your younger self about getting into the gaming industry and being successful? First of all, I just want to say you made me sound so eloquent in that wrap up. Like, wow, I didn't ramble at all. <laughs> Look at all these really, arms, I, thought, I was like, really point. <laughs> um, one thing I think I would tell myself when I was young, before I did that silly little uh, art degree that I graduated with, I went to university for like a year and a half. It was stressful and it wasn't for me and I dropped out. And there was a, a, like a period of time there where I was just like, did I make a mistake? Like, did I waste my money going to university just to drop out? Like, am I, am I a failure? And I think it's a, it's a thing that a lot of like young people aged 18 who go to university for the first time, there's like, maybe this isn't what I want. It's like the scary moment. And, and I was just like worried that I had made a mistake. And I, I, if I could go back to that 18 year old kid who had just dropped out of university and be like, it's, it's fine. Like, you're going to be okay. That's what I would say. Like, it, it seems silly to, to, for my advice to be, it's okay that you dropped out of university, but like everybody's path is different. And if you're passionate and if you're willing to like roll with the punches, like you can find a path that makes sense for you. And it doesn't have to be the path that like you thought it was. If you're willing to, um, you know, accept that life is crazy sometimes and just like find, find your own, your own, your own adventure. Right. And I guess it sounds super cheesy like that, but that's my advice. Like, it's okay that you dropped out of university. You can always go back. You can always go somewhere else or you can always just do something else. Like it seems sometimes when you're stuck in one place that that, that moment stretches out forever. And you're like, right. I'm always going to be stuck right here. I'm always going to feel exactly the way I feel. You know, everybody's worked a dead end job where it's just like, is it just going to be this every day for the rest of my life? And the the good thing about life is that it never will be. It's it's always changing for better or for worse. But like you don't have to be afraid of the monotony. It's it's not going to last. Before you know it, you'll be in some crazy experience that maybe it sucks, but it's different. And you can use that to grow and move forward. And it's all about moving forward, right? Is that too well, esoteric? Like <laughs> it's fine. Uh, I like that because um, 
first of all, at 18, I had nothing figured out. And anyone who does, I'm like so impressed. But I feel like we just kind of drop 18 year olds off. Okay. Now you're a real person. It's like, no, 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 no. Barely. Yeah, exactly. So I I can totally sympathize with that. And because I've had a lot of people on the show where I've asked for um, like more non-traditional, I guess the traditional path is definitely college job after high school. So I've been, I've had a lot of people on who I've kind of asked about non-traditional, right? Like what certifications can you get? Where can you start an entry-level job? All that stuff. So I really appreciate following that thread of thought. And I think it's really important um, because yeah, not everyone's meant for school. So yeah. And like school is really cool. I would love to go back if I had time now. I would love to get a degree in something because like the pressure is off now that I'm like almost 30. It's like, oh, I can just go get a degree in like, you know, whatever, just like film studies. And right. it's like, it might be a little bit expensive, but I could do it like one class. It'd be fun. Like I, if I had the time, I would love to do it. But like when you're young, it just like feels like it's everything. Right. Yeah. And so like, if you're having fun, if you're doing well in school, like stay in school, don't, don't listen to me and drop out. But like, if you're like struggling and you're like, I think I want to drop out, like that's it. That might be the right choice for you. Maybe it's not. I don't know you, but like, I don't want anybody to feel like it's like a double down, right? Dropping out kind of sucks because emotionally there's a whole bunch of other stuff. Like, don't feel bad about feeling bad. You know what I mean? Like, don't double down. Just like accept what you're doing and move forward and we can all move forward, right? Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Don't double down is good. That's a good way of saying it. (laughs) Paige, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you, follow you? If you want to be found and followed, where can they learn about Beast Coast? All that stuff. You can find me. Uh, my handle on everything is the base sixteen. That's T H E B A S E one six. It's a joke. Like hexadecimal is a base sixteen number system. I'm a web coder and a graphic designer, so uh, you know it's fun. So I'm the base sixteen on Twitter, on Instagram, and on TikTok. I don't post on TikTok very often, but I have a couple of bangers. Um, and then Beast Coast is a uh, Beast Coast. You can go to www.beastcoast.gg for our website, and then we're Beast Coast on Twitter. We managed to na- nab that handle, just Beast Coast. I think we're Beast Coast GG, all one word on Instagram, TikTok, and most other places because somebody else stole Beast Coast on those other platforms. But, you know, please check me out. Please check out Beast Coast. Uh, follow all of our brilliant creators. Um, and thank you so much, Lindsay, for having me on. This has been so great. <laughs> so fun. For all the listeners out there, be sure to leave the five-star ratings and reviews. Check out other Holodeck Media podcasts, including Meta Business and Business Esports. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Lindsay Poss, and you can catch me Wednesday afternoons on the Business of Esports Live After Show. We will see you next week. Thanks. Thanks for joining us here on Meta Woman. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts, leave a five-star review, and tell your friends, family, and colleagues all about us. Also, make sure to follow Meta TV on all socials to get more of the best Metaverse content anywhere. Tune in every week for another episode of Meta Woman.